Hi, Julian Smet. I think I pronounce your name perfectly. Is it true? Uh, not exactly. So it is uh, Guillaume. Oh, and, o- o- almost. Uh, Smet, Smet it is. Yes. Smet it is. Guillaume. Uh, Guillaume. 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 Yes. Guillaume. Yes. Now it's perfect. Now it's perfect. So uh, it was a North North French accent, right? Yes, exactly. So it's uh, it's the equivalent of William. Or your Wilhelm in uh, Germany. Okay. And it's a French equivalent of that. Okay. It's a very common name in France. And I was quite surprised when I joined Red Hat because absolutely nobody was able to pronounce it correctly. Except me. And, uh, yeah, except you, of course. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun at, at first. I was basically, I didn't understand my name when the others were talking about <laughs> me. So, I was like, <laughs> when there was some quiet and I understood and I vaguely understood my name before, I was like, "Oh, it's probably my turn to speak." So, okay. Yeah, that was quite a fun experience. Yeah. Now, what was your first computer? Oh, it was a Amstrad CPC. Uh, yeah, back in the days. Uh, I, to be honest, I didn't do much coding on that. Um, my father did, so he was basically he. He took the book from the Amstrad and was basically typing uh, the long listings mm-hmm. that were in there to code your first game and things like that. And he wasn't understanding anything that he was typing. He was just, he was just typing what was in the book and uh, exactly. And uh, yeah, at the end it worked. And uh, I uh, yeah, I didn't really code on the on this one. Um, I started coding far later with a, a PC compatible a Pentium 75, so really far later. Mm-hmm. Um, this is basically what, also what I did. I also tried, you know, to to learn from a book. By the way, it was a French book, and I had no idea about French. So what I could un- understood, you know, was the uh, the basic code and no explanation. Yeah. And um, and it never worked in my case. So I tried. I typed a lot, did some small mistake, and it never worked. W- was your father more successful? Yes, he, he actually... Uh, there was some Pong game uh, in the book, and uh-huh. uh, he actually made it work. Okay. Um, it took a few tries, but uh, yeah, he was able to, to get it to work. How many hours you spent, you know, uh, gaming with his game, playing his game? Uh, so it was kind of lame, but <laughs> I think we spent, uh, we spent a few hours, uh, okay, with nice. my sister on it, but yeah, it was, uh, it was very lame. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. And, uh, and so, so you start playing with the CPC, I think, right? So this was your first action. So you, you bought games and played with it. Yeah. We, we bought a few games, but back in the time you were basically trading discs uh, with your friends and acquaintances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, we had a few games and that was basically the only interactions we had okay. with, uh, with the computer. So when you started coding then, was it the Amstrad or another machine? I think I was, uh, 16 or 17. I, and I didn't do much back in the time. I actually really started coding, um, when I got to uh, yeah, when I was 20 years old, um, we had this, uh, basically for my engineering school, we needed a, 
a website to push some information to the students and um, discuss with each other and things like that. And I basically developed the whole things with a couple of friends. And that's really when I started coding. I needed a purpose, a purpose something. Um, yeah, I needed someone to tell me, oh, we really need to get that done. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I just started doing it. So it was in PHP back in the days, PHP 3, mm -hmm. and uh, with the PostgreSQL database. Uh, and that's how I started to love PostgreSQL. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's really, I think that's really the starting point of my career. Uh, before that, it was just for fun. Mm -hmm. And you enjoyed the um, PHP or HTML experience? I mean, how was the start? Because without any knowledge, is, you know, because you had to understand first that PHP generates a string and a string is, you know, sent to the browser and the browser interprets the string. So it was, uh, it is not as easy. So if you would start with Hello World, I would say it's easier in Terminal. If you start with a server, maybe it's harder, right? Yeah, so the, the tooling for PHP was quite simple and that was probably the main advantage of it yep. uh, back in the days. You had uh, Apache HTTP servers, a PHP module all running, uh, and you just needed to write your pages. Uh, you could really make a big, a big mess with it. And I think I we started making things far cleaner when PHP 4 got out. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really far better. Uh, one thing that I think really helped with uh, the learning experience was that um, PHP was um, uh, keen to embark new developers, people who didn't really have uh, coding experience before that. Mm -hmm. And you had a lot of very simple documentation to start. The documentation was really nice. The language was totally inconsistent. Mm -hmm. That was, I think, the main problem with it. Mm -hmm. But the documentation was nice. Uh, you had a lot of comments in the documentation. And, uh, yeah, it really made the experience quite easy. And, frankly, at that point in time, to develop a web application, uh, PHP was uh, really nice. If you properly separated HTML and PHP and made some basic uh, object-oriented programming, you could actually have something relatively nice. Mm -hmm. When was it? Which year was it? 2001, I think. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. We already had Java back then, I would say. And um, yeah, we had Java. Yes. And Java would be similar with GSPs. The problem was that you would need to have a Tomcat or something similar, so it wouldn't work, you know, directly on Apache. Yeah, I didn't really have a look at uh, what was there at the time. Uh, basically, we had a very old um, first version with uh, developed with PHP, so I just mm -hmm. took that one, modernized it, made, made it far better, and uh, that was the starting point of uh going with php and uh yeah that was we didn't really i, I don't know we were students we didn't really 
compare things like uh, what if we do it in Java? Uh, what if we do it with... Uh, I, I know at, at the time it was the start of ZOP. I don't know if you remember that one. SOAP. It was ZOP, yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so some people were playing with it. And uh, yeah, basically we just took what was working and uh, and we just did it. Okay. So PHP it was... I discovered Java far later. But your PHP project, was it big at the end? So it was it complex or...? Yes, it was, uh, it was quite big. We had a, a ton of features on administration console. Uh, we had uh, forums, we had news, we had um, a directory with all the students we had with a relatively complex search engine. Um, yeah, we had a ton of features related to the life of the students. We didn't have Facebook back in the time. And uh, yeah, there wasn't any... We were using ICQ. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was our yeah our way of communicating with each other. And, By the way, uh, this yeah, is how, how, face how Facebook started, right? So what you wrote was a small yes, Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so it was... Uh, I think it was a lot like uh, Facebook was at the start, except we didn't have this uh, let's uh, not the girl that was the start of Facebook and that was a bit creepy. I don't know if you have seen the movie. Yeah, yeah. So it was really about... Uh, the movie Social Network, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. It was really about um, yeah, make, making sure we could communicate with each other, find each other, uh, push the information about the student life, uh, and that was basically it. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, at the end, it was a, a relatively large project and a relatively good one. I think it, it lived for 10 years after we left the school. Wow. And it was, sure. yeah, it was shut down 10 years later. So it wasn't that bad. No, I mean, it sounds great. What's fascinating that, you know, this was your first project, right? <laughs> and became yes. a small Facebook. So. Yeah, the fact is that uh, uh, I need a mission to work on things. And basically, I had one. Uh, we had uh, some needs, some requirements to get something working. Mm -hmm. So that's really how it started. We need something to be done. Nobody works on that, and nobody is working to commit the time to do that. So I decided to do it myself, and yeah, I just got it done. It took me endless hours. Uh, I worked on that for, I don't know, yeah, one year and a half. Uh, it took a few months to get the first version out, but then we added a ton of features. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it took one one year and a half of my life to get this done. I, I also went to the, yeah, we also had school in the, in the meantime, so... Yeah, I had to juggle between the school and uh, this work, but yeah, in in the end, it led me it led me to my uh, career. So I must say it was a good time investment. Mm -hmm. How you collaborated with the other students? Have you used CSV subversion or what was it? Yes, exactly. So we were using CVS. Oh, CVS, not CSV. Uh, CS, yes. CVS, exactly. We were using CVS with locking, uh, of course, right? Yes, it was, uh, yeah, it was really, well, yeah, it was a bit messy, but uh, at least we had that. I mean, uh, at my first job, 
uh, when I started, um, there wasn't even um, version control. Mm-hmm. We were like all working on the same Samba uh, mm-hmm. share, and we were like, "Oh, I'm updating this file. Please do not update it." Yeah, and that was uh, so. Yeah, we were students, but we were working like uh, professionals should work. So we had version control. Um, we had um, a production server, a test server. Uh, we had uh, we were developing on our uh, desktops, uh, some on Windows, some on Linux. It's great. Sounds great. Where was it? In which city? Uh, in Lyon. Oh, okay. So where I live, I still live there. Mm-hmm. I, I did my uh, my engineering school there, and I I stayed there because I I love the city. Okay. So yeah, it's in Lyon, in France. So uh, what is special about Lyon? Just nice. I don't know. I don't know. I, I like the rivers. So we have two rivers crossing the city. Okay. And that's uh, quite nice. And the life here is pretty nice. I, I miss the sea a bit. So when I was younger, I lived in um, in the north of France, mm-hmm. uh, near the North Sea. And uh, I miss this sea. So the sea with uh, the rain, the wind. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the waves, mm-hmm. and I miss that a bit. But apart from that, it's a yeah, it's a nice city to to live in, and uh, I like it. So, so what I understand right now is that uh, the weather in Lyon is too nice, and you miss the rain and the storm, right? Yes, a bit. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I miss them a bit. So it, it, it's kind of weird, but when it's not raining for uh, for too long. I'm like, oh, I miss the rain. I need some. And uh, I just uh, got back from B- Brittany mm-hmm. uh, where I got some uh, a nice storm with uh, a lot of wind and uh, and a bit of rain. And it was very nice. No, yeah, we have lots of nice storms uh, also in, in, in Munich recently. So you would also enjoy the weather here. <laughs> so what was your next project after Facebook or Facebook Lite, I would say? Yeah, I joined uh, um, an IT services company. That was my first job. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked on um, an application to build, um, I don't know how to say it. So it was for the French um, rail company, so the SNCF. And it was for them to publish their call for offers to the European Union. They, so basically, it was uh, a web UI to build all the complex thing mm-hmm. and uh, build the, the the requirements for the offer. And then you were you were generating an XML file to send to the European Union so that they could include it in the in the stream of offers they they have to publish. So it was. Uh, yeah, it was a requirement for them to do that. It was in uh, ASP, the Microsoft uh, language, mm-hmm. uh, with um, some Visual Basic script. We didn't have um, the JavaScript support back in the time was uh, very bad, to be honest. So it was a lot of fun with iframes. Um, mm-hmm. You had to push some events to an iframe to get something computed. Then you were uh, getting that back and including it in your page. You didn't have all the fancy thing we have now with asynchronous request and things like that. So yeah. it was uh, 
Yeah, it but was it was normal back then. I mean, the, the entire Ajax started with the uh, you know uh, XHR, and before that, it was really hard to do something more yes. interactive. You had to use iframes. I mean, or iframes, or at least frames or iframes, and uh, so it was. I mean, it was like it was, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, and yeah, I, I worked on that for a while, but I was um, I was missing the open source. Um, yeah, the open source way. I was missing it too much. Uh, I worked Why a, are you so missing I, this? Because uh, you never worked with open source back then, right? Yes, I did because I was using PHP oh, before. Okay. So this is the PHP. School. Okay. Yes. This was the, the PHP PostgreSQL. Okay. So it was uh, basically it was an open source layer, and I was missing the yeah the discussions, uh, the documentation. It was relatively hard to find good documentation for uh, HP two Visual Basic Script and things like that. Um, there was no one uh, to share uh, things with, ask questions to. It was, uh, yeah, I was missing the the open source ecosystem and discussing with um, with other people. So, yeah, I, I left uh, this particular company relatively quickly, and then uh, went looking for a company where I could work on with open source software. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and I, then I joined uh, a company who was exclusively working with open source software, uh, which was relatively uh, rare. Back in the time, it was in 2003. Okay. So it wasn't, uh, I mean... They now, only spent one year at the company for the uh, with uh, Microsoft ASP, right? Roughly. Yes. Less, okay. less than one year, yes. Okay. And, uh, and then I stayed for 13 years at the next one. Wow. Because, uh, yeah, basically we were working with open source, working on nice projects, uh, developing applications for nice customers. And I really, uh, I, yeah, basically built my own team there mm-hmm. with um, hiring students just when they got out of school and then training them to become, I don't know, nice people, nice developers. Uh, people who liked working on with customers, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we started. So I started uh, working with PHP, and then I switched to Java at some point. How was the switch for you? Crazy, right? You say, okay, um, well, this is <laughs> PHP is yeah, that nice, a, and Java is so complicated. I can. Yeah, it was a bit crazy, um, and especially because uh, when I uh, switch. Um, we started working with something uh, that wasn't very common back at the time. It was um, something from Ars Digita, a, an old company who was working on um, CMS. Okay. And um, Ars Digita was later purchased by Red Hat. Okay. And it was called the Red Hat Web Application Framework. And it was a big framework to develop uh, CMS. It was... Uh, quite complex, relatively slow to start, relatively sto- slow to build. Mm-hmm. And it made the experience uh, relatively hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the end, we, went, we were able to yeah, to get uh, something working and get the customers happy. So that's the important point. And then I switched to more lightweight uh, Java with Spring, uh, Tomcat, uh, Hibernate, and that was my first contact with Hibernate. Okay, uh, which, with which Java version you started? I, I guess 1.6, right? 
no, I think it was, I started with, uh, Java 4. I, okay. I did some internship, uh, I, I used Java a bit in one of my internships and it was Java 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really started using it professionally with, uh, 5. Okay. So it was the beginning of, uh, generics. Annotations. Things like that. Yes. Annotations, big one. This was the, the the biggest impact on 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 Java code, I would say. Annotations. Yeah, annotation, and uh, I, I think generics made a bit more impact uh, when I started using Java Five because um, we were playing with um, um, a GDBC clustering solution. I, I don't remember. I think it was named Sequoia. It was a solution okay. from a, a company called Continuant. And they were, what, what's what's uh, the name? Continuant. I don't know if they are uh, because I also played with similar solution, and and my solution was C dash JDBC cluster JDBC. So you could have even different rate levels in a C, a JDBC where it replicated different databases. So I was just curious what you used. Yes, I think it. Uh, I wonder if it wasn't if it was. Um, uh, the version prior Sequoia or the version after, but I think it was the same company. Okay, now we just also look it up. So small world again. Yes, and it was um, so it was a relatively complex solution, and uh, they um, they started migra- migrating to 1.5 and generics, and they started being able to fix a lot of bugs because. Somehow, at some point, they were adding things that shouldn't be added to the wrong list or um, things like that. So you had um, objects uh, of different types in the list when where objects should be consistent. And yeah, a lot of bugs were fixed just by switching to Java f- uh, 5 and starting to push the generics there. Interesting. So, this uh, CJDBC is hosted by Object Web. And the company is Sequoia. Yes. Interesting. So we we used the same stuff, and uh, these uh, the the latest release of CGDBC was two thousand eight, and the repository was in CVS. Interesting. So I'm just looking at yes. this. So uh-huh. I contributed a bit to ah. this one. Okay. Um, a few fixes, and uh, yeah, ba- back in the time, I contributed a lot to uh, GForge. I don't know if you know that one, but it was a um, a fork of SourceForge started uh, with by one of the SourceForge contributors. So SourceForge was open source for a while, mm-hmm. um, and at at that point, it was the only project hosting uh, solution mm-hmm. uh, that was open source. So if you wanted to host um, open source, uh, I mean even uh, proprietary uh, software development in your company. Um, SourceForge and then GForge was the, the only solution back then. So I, uh, when I started as a company, there, we, they weren't using any source, uh, control or whatever. So one of the first thing I did when, um, the person I replaced, uh, left the company, I just installed GForge and I started contributing a lot to it. I installed the, a lot of them uh, in several companies in France too, okay. and uh, it was way before GitHub was even a thing, way before GitLab was even a thing, and that was uh, that was probably my 
first big open source contribution, my contribution to JForge. Uh, and then I contributed to quite a lot of, of open source software, mo mostly fixes, uh, yeah, bug fixes, a few small features, contributed to, contributed to PostgreSQL for a while. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I developed a PostgreSQL log analyzer. Wow. During these years. And when you did it, you did it at the uh, PHP time or later? Uh, so I, I developed it in PHP because that was, um, so it was a tool that should be used by admins, uh, by system administrators. And, uh, well, they were allergic to Java. I think they are, they still are allergic to Java system administrators. Mm -hmm. And I probably should have developed it in Python or Perl. But I was basically only fluent in PHP and Java at this time, so I settled for PHP. And it was, um, yeah, for a while it was um, the PostgreSQL log analyzer used by uh, everyone in the PostgreSQL community. Uh, it was used to detect uh, slow queries, uh, mm -hmm. get uh, reports about errors. Um, we, I, I mean. The, it, it was used at Instagram before they they got blocked by um, wow. by Facebook at the time to yeah control the, their workloads and make sure that uh, there wasn't any issues with the queries they were pushing to production. So that was uh, yeah that was I think my first two big open source contribution GForge and uh, this PostgreSQL. Analyzer called, uh, so it was a French name. It was called PG Fouin, which, um, a Fouin is a small, uh, animal, okay. uh, here in France. And, uh, yeah, that was the start of my uh, open source contributions. And you started the, the, the project. So you were the uh, initiator of the project or? Yeah, this PostgreSQL log analyzer was the initiator. There was a, a Ruby one, uh, that was not working very well. It consumed, uh, we were, At my company, we were pushing huge logs to it, um, two gigabytes of logs per day, and the Ruby version wasn't working very well. It leaked a lot of memory, and it was just usable, not usable for our workload. So, yeah, I started a brand new project uh, at this time, and, uh, yeah, I worked on it for, I don't know, I maintained it for three years, something like that. Oh, probably more like, more than that five or six years. And, uh, yeah, someone then, uh, developed another one based on the same principle in Perl this time. And, um, and it, and it was, uh, basically the replacement for, uh, this software, but yeah, it was used by the community, the PostgreSQL community for, uh, for a long time. And, and the name was Fryn. Fryn. Um, It was called PG. And small animal, you said. Uh, is it only the an animal only lives in, in, in France or in other places as well? Yeah, you, uh, um, I don't know the word in... Uh, so it's a weasel okay. in English. Uh, or a stone marten. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, basically, in, in French, a fouine is so, someone who looks for something, uh, trying to... Um, Okay. find some information and things like that. So that was a good name for this particular thing, which was looking in huge logs and trying to find the important information for you. 
Yeah, yes, I found uh, now a contribution from you in 2007 for PGSQL, two fixes for the release notes from Guillaume, 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 Guillaume. Yes. Guillaume yes, I, I contributed a bit to PostgreSQL for a while. Uh, mostly QA. Um, I uh, basically I was. Uh, so when you started the contributions, in which year? I mean, crazy. You were hyperactive. <laughs> when was your first? Which? When was your first open source commit? Year roughly. Uh, 2003 for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it was in the ASP time. No, after the ASP time with the uh, PHP company first, right? Yeah, it was when I first joined the um, the yeah the open source company where I. Uh, What I was the name? Object Web. Oh, two. No, it was it was called. Uh, so uh, it may it makes uh, English speaking people laugh, but it was called uh, Open Wide. Okay. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, a small company really dedicated to developing solutions for customers, uh, solely based on open source software. So Java, PHP, also a lot of embedded, um, software. So we had, uh, uh Pierre Fischer, who is a, a very important person in the embedded software world. Um, and, uh, yeah, we were working with, uh, yeah, uh, we also booked a hosting company later. So we were really a full open source company. We could yeah take your project from the beginning and get it, uh, running in production, uh, only based on open source software. And it was in 2003. Mm -hmm. Seems like the company was renamed to Smile. And, um, so it wasn't remain, uh, renamed. We got uh, booked by Smile. Uh, okay. In 2015, I think, mm -hmm. uh, and I left the company shortly after, and I joined Red Hat. Okay. Um, just when the company was uh, booked by Smile. Interesting. So at at, at uh, Open White, uh, what uh, what you did, you did uh, a lot of. Uh, you started with PHP, then switched to Java, yes. and uh, mainly, uh, mainly Spring and Tomcat, right? Yes, Spring, Tomcat. Uh, we were using Wicket. Ah, Apache Wicket. This, uh, actually, uh, Wicket was nice but strange. This was um, because uh, the idea of Wicket was that you know the Java code has to have the same structure as the page, which I appreciated. But uh, the strangely, the designers didn't like that. They they wanted to have more flexibility. And also strangely, in my uh, early Java or early when was it two thousand when two thousand ten maybe yeah roughly two thousand ten. This was the time frame. This was the the big times of Wicked. Um, my uh, designers they preferred JSF over over Wicked because in JSF you can have you know the structure of JSF can be completely different to the Java backend. Uh, for for us, Java developers, Wicked was nicer because it was more conventional of a configuration. So you can have, you know, don't make me think. So it was exactly the same structure in both cases. So it was uh, interesting dynamics back then. And I really like Wicked. It was a really nice concept uh, with a nice book, you know, about the cheese. I remember there was a book, you know, with all the examples about cheese because Wicked came from Netherlands, I think. Yes, we are. The, so Wicked is a... An interesting piece of software, I think. We used it for years, um, mm -hmm. and uh, I liked it a lot. Um, 
one thing uh, one thing that I liked a lot is that you it was so it's basically components based component based and uh, you you build your pages with components uh, the components are Java and you have the HTML with a, a couple of wicked specific markup and that's pretty much it and um, what I really liked about it is if you took someone who really never worked with Wicket or had very little experience about developing applications in Java, uh, it was really easy to start with a Wicket app. Uh, you had the application class where you registered all your routing, and then you click and you get to the components, to the pages, to the components, and it's really easy to find what you are looking for. It was far less magic uh, than Spring MVC, where it can be a bit harder to mm -hmm. exactly understand what Spring is doing because there is a lot of magic. Mm -hmm. In Wicket, you don't have that much magic, and it's very easy to find uh, what you're looking for. Yeah, it's almost like uh, Swing for the web, right? So you add a button, you can register action listener, and yeah. Yes, exactly. And it works very well. It's very simple, so you can fix uh, issues very easily there. Um, it was using jQuery for the um, uh, JavaScript layer, and uh, yeah, it was. I, I think it's a very, very nice project, and it's still uh, kicking and uh, very much alive. And I think the the team I created back in the days is still using it um, uh, now. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it really made us. Uh, develop applications faster with less bugs, um, and it was uh, yeah, it was a very nice, uh, very nice thing. Yeah, uh, still around and uh, is still somehow active on no, no more that active on GitHub. So the the uh, last commits were around 2019. So seems like oh no, Wicket is still very much alive. Yeah, if you go uh, so to I, if you go to Apache Wicket. Uh, to uh, GitHub, and you know, the recent contributions, they are 2018 was the last burst, and then there are a few contributions in 2019 maybe, and uh, I don't know, they are still releasing new versions, uh, there was a new version in uh, February 2022, 20, so yeah, I think they are still very much alive yeah, they are alive. I just uh, was curious what they are doing, because um, I um, what's what's funny. I uh, mentioned somewhere the uh, struts, oh, and yes. I was curious whether struts is alive, and took a look at GitHub, and they are extremely active. <laughs> so I was all crazy, uh, and uh, so just you know, you you would think the project is no more active, and they are very active actually. Apache two, Apache struts two. And uh, this is what I also did right now. I went to GitHub and wanted to see how they are doing. And uh, a little bit quiet. Maybe they need some. Uh, let's wait a sink. Yeah, but uh, they are publishing. There was the Wicked 9.8 15 days ago. So there are lots of small releases recently. Interesting. Yeah, they are releasing very qu quite often. So, frankly, when, I, when we were working with that, uh, we, we started using it, I think it. 2013 or think something like that mm -hmm. and um, maybe a bit before and I mean you could do whatever you wanted with it uh, it was very flexible mm -hmm. 
um, very simple. So they, they added new features later, but frankly, it was, uh, yeah, really feature complete and very flexible and you could do yeah. exactly what and you And it was it, somehow so. a nice Java code, right? So it, it was like ob object-oriented way of, of, I would say, or component-oriented or object-oriented because it, 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 the Java code was really like uh, more than Java, right? So you had the actionlessness and you could structure the code as, um, as a Java code. It was not like string-oriented, right? Where you just listened for strings coming from the front end and did something with it. It, uh, yeah, it was nice. So um, you joined Red Hat. So what was your pitch? You wanted to join as a Spring uh, developer or what was the point? So basically when uh, Smile booked um, uh, my old company, um, uh, Emmanuel Bernard from the Hibernate team contacted me and said, oh, Guillaume, um, I, kn I knew you were very well um, at your company until now, but maybe you are looking for a change uh, now that... Uh, the situation is a bit different. And I said, oh, yes, we can certainly discuss that. And so we started discussing about Hibernate. Um, I contributed to Hibernate Search um, for a while before that because we were using it uh, with this Spring Apache Wicket uh, layer. We were also... Ah, yes. Uh, yeah, true. Search. And Emmanuel was big in Hibernate Search, so he also know the the Emmanuel in one point of time. I think was one of the main maintainer of Hibernate. Yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, and, and I, he, I he had he lots of. And and what was fascinating about the Hibernate Search, what I really liked back then was the um, cluster uh, replications. What they did that you can index on one node and send you know the 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 updates to another node. And uh, Emmanuel talked about this a lot at conferences. So uh, yeah, exactly. So this is how uh, Hibernate knew you, right? From the from the contributions to Hibernate Search. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And uh, to be honest, even without the clustering thing, um, with Hibernate Search, you could have some very valid um, search features in your applications yes. with no hassle. Um, and I mean, back in the time, you didn't have so Apache Solar uh, was. Um, uh, already created, but uh, you didn't, uh, Elasticsearch, I think it was really the start of it. And, um, just with, uh, a few annotations uh, in your entities, you could push these things to Lucene and have a very yeah. nice search engine. And it made a lot of, so we were developing, um, business applications for customers and they were all very, Yes, yeah, they, they really appreciated all the search features we were putting in the applications uh, using Hibernate Search. So I, I found a few issues with it, uh, with our workloads, with our specific Java models, and uh, started fixing things there, discussing with Sane, Grinovero, mm -hmm. uh, to get this fixed with Ardi, um, Ferenczyk too. And um, yeah, that's how they started to know me. And, uh, yeah, when, um, when Emmanuel contacted me, it went, yeah, it went quite fast and, uh, I basically joined the Hibernate team mm -hmm. and started working on Hibernate uh, validator, Hibernate search. And I also worked a bit on Hibernate ORM, uh, mm -hmm. mostly. I, I think my main contribution to ORM is, um, some improvement in the memory usage um, 
for large models. But uh, yeah, apart from that, I worked a lot of Hibernate Validator 6. Um, the bin validation 2 implementation. Mm-hmm. And uh, also started the, um, uh, the first experiments with uh, pushing um, uh, pushing Hibernate Search uh, events to, El- to Elasticsearch. Okay. Which mm-hmm. far later uh became uh hibernate uh, search uh, 6 mm-hmm. but at the at, at the very first it was a, a very lame experiment to see what would be the issues to push uh the indexing to elastic, an elastic source server instead of a lucene and we found all the issues and then uh it was decided to Basically, rewrite Hibernate Search to make it um, relevant for Lucene, Elasticsearch, and uh, why not other indexing solution? Yeah, um, I also used uh, Hibernate Search a lot. So there was a couple of startups who used uh, Whitefly, Java E, Hibernate, and with the Hibernate Search, you had uh, almost like you know Google Search experience, right? So you can write it yes. easily. And we had JPA with a view Hibernate specific annotations, and it just worked great back then. I think it was. Around 2014, in 2015, in my case, I think, yeah. where we used that, the, the solution. Uh, and um, so, 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 you, so you became the, one of the main maintainers of Hibernate Search? I don't know if I was uh, one of the main maintainers of Hibernate Search. I, uh, I worked on it a lot. Now it's, um, it's uh, Johan Rodier, who is... Uh, uh, is the main uh, person behind Hibernate Search 6. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, funnily enough, he, w- he was working at my company, uh, oh. so op- at uh, OpenWide before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when I left for Relat, uh, the Hibernate team was looking for someone else, and I was like, oh, Johan would be f- perfect for that. So in, he left OpenWide 2 uh, and uh, started at Relat uh, shortly after. And, uh, yeah, so I, as for my Hibernate contribution, I worked a lot of Hibernate, on Hibernate Validator. I'm the project lead for Validator. Oh, okay. Um, it's, to be honest, it's not very active right now. We fix bugs and things like that, but it's, uh, we didn't add, uh, very complex features for a while. Um, I mean, it's almost feature complete. What you can add, right? I mean, in one point of time, it's hard to imagine. Yes, yeah, so we we worked a lot of on improving the performances of it, uh, trying to. Uh, so usually it's not a problem, but we had people using validator to validate in batch. So they had they had a lot of data and they wanted to uh, pull them to validator to validate that the data were okay. And for this kind of things. Uh, yeah, validator has an important overhead. So we worked a lot on um, improving memory allocation, reducing uh, CPU usage and things like that to make it more relevant for these sort of use cases. But yes, we we don't have um, big plans for features in uh, Hibernate Validator. Uh, we will need to switch to Jakarta E10 uh, very soon. Mm-hmm. So that's the project that we are uh, working on. Um, but yeah, so I, I burned a validator mainly. Also, I contributed, uh, C 
significantly to search and a lot less to to ORM. Mm -hmm. I did a few patches for ORM, but not that much. So is anybody left in open white or everyone is lefty company and now Smile is, you know, a lonely person smiling somewhere? Yeah, so Smile is basically in the... Um, Biggest open source company in France now. They bought a lot of ah, the okay. small Didn't ones. Yes, yeah, and they are uh, they are expanding in Europe. Uh, they bought a lot of the small uh, companies. Uh, okay. They they recently booked. Uh, so why well, recently? A few years ago, uh, the people behind Symfony, okay. the PHP framework. Mm -hmm. So they are part of Smile now too, um, and uh, I, I think most of the Uh, the people who, I mean, at OpenWide, we had a lot of people staying for a while. I mean, I stayed there for uh, 13 years, uh, and a lot of the people I uh, hired stayed there for uh, forever. Mm -hmm. uh, when Smile bought the company, obviously, it wasn't the same company anymore, yeah. so a lot of us uh, left. Um, my um, my team at OpenWide created a company to continue working with the framework uh, I initiated at OpenWide. So I think they are still uh, working with uh, Spring, Wicket, Hibernate, Hibernate Search to develop uh, business applications with the framework, uh, okay. the very framework we were using back in the time. Okay. So And, and then you um, switched from Hibernate Search and Validator to what? At some point, uh, I got a call from Emmanuel and he was like, Again? Oh, we <laughs> Again, yes. <laughs> and he was like, oh, we need... Uh, so, you know, we have this new secret project uh, going on at Red Hat. We need Hibernate Validator support in it. So it would be nice if you could work on it. For now, it's um, it's not something that should be done in the open. We want to make a big splash and have something relatively featureful before communicating about it. So... Please start working on that. So, how secret was Quarkus inside Red Hat? You knew about that? Um, so, I knew there was a project going mm -hmm. on because Sane was working on it. So, it was like, oh, I'm working on a secret project, so I won't be able to um, <laughs> work as much as before on Hibernate for a while. And I was like, okay. So, we we knew there was something going on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, only the people really invested in it were uh, aware of what it really was. Mm -hmm. and, and what's the name uh, uh, known? So it was called Pro Protean ah. back in the time. And, uh, and the first, so the first name was Shamrock mm, yeah, exactly. when it was created. Mm -hmm. That's because Stuart, who created the thing, was doing that at an Irish pub called Shamrock. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it was a code name first, then it became Protean, and then we needed... What is, what is uh, Protean? What, what does it mean? Uh, so it, it's... I don't even know if it has a meaning. Okay. It was... Uh, yeah, so apparently it's, uh, it's something that can change its shape. Uh -huh. uh, but I mean, it was more like a cool name. Okay. <laughs> and then we were looking uh, when we had to make it public we needed a name that would uh, be validated by um, 
illegal that wouldn't cause any issues with uh, other uh, brands or other companies uh, and Protean wasn't an option. I don't remember that is an issue. I, I think there was another company called Protean uh, which was uh, working uh, in a field, uh, probably in the IT field, so it wasn't a good option. So we had to find a new name, and at, at the end it was uh, Quarkus. But yeah, it was uh, it was a relatively secret project. Um, we all knew that something was going on, but we had no idea what it was. Okay. Um, and it started, um, I think it started far before... Um, I mean, I remember when we made it public, we had this, uh, the people at Micronaut saying, oh, they just uh, uh, did the same thing that we are doing uh, for Micronaut. And in fact, the Quarkus project was started far earlier, just that it wasn't public. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started working on validator support in Quarkus. Uh, it was... I mean, it was relatively hard because um, the whole concept was entirely new. The fact that we were doing things at build time, um, GraalVM, I mean, GraalVM was very, very new. Uh, so all the concepts in Quarkus were, um, yeah, a bit disturbing for someone used to spraying Wildfly. Uh, mm-hmm. It was really a brand new thing. So... It was really about trying to find a way to integrate all the technologies we had with new paradigms and um, getting it to yeah to be optimized for the Quarkus behavior. Being uh, yeah, we need to do more things at build time. So how can Hibernate Validator be adapted to push more work mm-hmm. at build time? and less when the application is starting. Mm-hmm. So that was the start of my involvement in Quarkus. And uh, so I did that, started fixing bugs um, in uh, various areas. And in the end, I was uh, basically fully involved in it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, so I'm still part of the Hibernate team. My main, um, uh, I mean, I'm officially uh, an Hibernate team member. Okay. But yeah, I spend uh, nearly uh, all of my time working on Quarkus. Um, uh, it was really a, an engineering, uh, I mean, a software developer position at the beginning. I mean, I was coding and um, getting things working, uh, fixing issues, improving consistency all over the place, things like that. And then things started to evolve a bit. And I uh, started working more on the processes, uh, started uh, releasing Quarkus okay. when it became public. Uh, so the first versions were released by Clément Escoffier. And uh, then I took the lead for the releases and released Quarkus for, for a long while, nearly all the versions uh, until now. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I worked on improving the processes, connecting people, uh, making sure that all the persons have the right information at the right time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's more my role now. I'm more like, uh, yeah, connecting people, fostering the community, improving the processes, uh, making sure we are um, working at full speed and that um, nothing is in the way for people to make things rock in Quarkus. So what are the challenges right now then? 
So what what can be improved? It's an interesting question. Uh, I think the so at some point the main challenge was that. Uh, we were going very fast and we were losing a lot of, we were wasting a lot of time, uh, doing, uh, things like, uh, I don't know, just, uh, putting the right, uh, milestone labels, uh, uh, ping the right persons and things like that on issues. I mean, we have a lot of issues coming, mm-hmm. um, just pinging the right person, person to have a look at the issue and things like that were taking so much time and this we figured it out uh, we have a, a github bot now handling most of the of these things and it's really uh, a relief especially because i was uh, the person doing most of these uh, very 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 boring tasks and um, so this is somehow solved um, i think um the main challenge is that we want to keep uh, innovating, and um, with—I I mean, the Quarkus is a very large project now, and uh, we want to keep innovating. So we need to make sure that the fact that it's a large project doesn't slow us down too much mm-hmm. on innovation that implementing new ideas um, is not blocked by the fact that, uh, well, the project is huge. So yeah. we, are, uh, we are starting to... We only have part of the solution for that. We started the Quarkiverse, uh, which is an ecosystem for Quarkus extensions, uh, where we try to push the new extensions rather than getting them in the way, main Quarkus project where uh, basically anytime you uh, need to change something on Quarkus, you end up with a gazillion of extensions to build and uh, to make sure everything works and things like that. So the fact that we have the Quarkiverse um, moving as extensions there helps a lot with um, keeping the core relatively lean. So it's still far too big, but at least it's better now and it's not growing uh, too much. We are also working on, on um, uh, yeah, trying to improve the documentation. We uh, we have a lot of projects, and um, one thing that also is uh, relatively hard is to get things uh, completely finalized to put them in the hands of the user. Mm-hmm. Um, we the the CLI for Quarkus is a good example. We had a, a nice prototype at some point. We had a rewrite of it, and it's now very, very nice to use. And uh, you can do uh, most of the tasks you are doing uh, with Quarkus with a nice CLI instead of the Maven commands, which are relatively complex and not very relevant if you are using Gradle. So we we are pushing to make the, um, the CLI uh, a thing, but you have the code, but then you need to publish it to... SDK man, chocolate, um, and things like that. You need to update all the documentation to make use of it. So anytime we want, we have to push something, it's a huge amount of work to really get it to the user. So you have the initial coding and then you have to evolve the whole ecosystem, the whole Quarkus thing to make sure that the user can find it. Oh, 
and that's that's really the um, I, I think that's one of the main challenge uh keeping the innovation pace while we have a more and more complex uh, ecosystem also getting a framework to be a general purpose framework is very hard uh now mostly because the java ecosystem is extremely huge so you support something and then you always have someone saying oh i'm using this library instead and it doesn't work how can i do that or i'm using this one and it doesn't work because and so to get a general purpose framework supporting all the java ecosystem is a huge uh, amount of work so we are working with the communities of these various projects. Sometimes we we have a, a specific class loader um, implementation and a lot of um, Java components are not really uh, aware of class loaders or sufficiently rigorous about how they are using class loaders. So we have to fix a few things in some of the of the external libraries. ArcUnit, for example, for example, uh, got a few fixes uh, from us recently uh, because it wasn't working very well with Quarkus. So that's the, the thing. We we started of this on a, as a small project for people who were wanting to try a new thing, and uh, uh, and now we have a lot more users saying, "Oh, I'm using that, that, and that, and I want to continue using that with Quarkus." So how can I do it? Mm -hmm. And we have to provide an answer for that, either by uh, integrating the technology somehow, fix a few, th a few things, um, maybe get the people asking, contributing to Quarkus uh, with test cases, with fixes and things like that. And that's um, really how we want to work, trying to get the community to grow. Uh, maybe, just on a spontaneous idea, this would be a great community role, like a Quarkus integrator, because it's a low risk for you. I mean, in worst case, the integration won't work, and you could have a batch, you know, community integrators, get a T-shirt or whatever you can do, and someone would just, you know, uh, care about uh, providing the fixes for a nice open source project to Quarkus. So you can involve, you know, a new community members, because actually, if um, the, um, I would say, it is a lot of fiddling, but it's not like, you know, they don't have to understand the low-level stuff usually. It is like, you know, there's a class loader yes. issue or whatever. There are two, you know, two open source projects, how to integrate them. And they could work with uh, with the open source project and with Quarkus. And uh, this would be actually a great way to become visible in Quarkus community, right? So Yes, exactly. And we have uh, quite a lot of um, contributors starting with Quarkus this way. Um, they are, so the Quarkiverse extensions are mostly maintained by people outside of Red Hat. Um, so we have, basically, we have contributors to the Quarkus main repository. So there, there are, uh, Red Hat contributors and there are, um, external contributors too. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't make a difference between them. Um, some of the, some of the external, some some of the external contributors are um, co committers mm -hmm. on the main repository. Some of the Red Hat ones are not. Um, there are no differences between you are Red Hat or not. And uh, in the Quarkiverse, we have a mix of extensions maintained by uh, Red Hatters because we needed that for 
something. I typically I maintain uh, the Quarkus GitHub API extensions, the Quarkus GitHub extensions because I need them. Mm-hmm. And then we have um, extensions maintained by community members. Uh, the Vault extension, for instance, is maintained by um, a community member. Uh, and uh, that's a good way to get involved in Quarkus. Mm-hmm. You need something to work. You want it better integrated with Quarkus. Uh, you don't always need an extension. So that's something that must be clear. You need an extension when you want it very integrated with the Quarkus behaviors, mm-hmm. with how Quarkus works. Uh, also, if you have some issues with native executables and GraalVM, uh, an extension might be nice to make things easier for the um, users. But you don't always need one. But when you need one, you can create one very easily. We have um, commands to create, to scaffold a new extension, and then you push them to the Quarkiverse. Um, and we, yeah, we are very keen to get new contributors, maintainers for Quarkiverse extensions. How many extensions do we have right now? Core extension and Quarkiverse? Several hundreds, uh, for sure. Uh, I think we, last time we checked, it was 300. 300? Yes. Something, some have, are internal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and that's not counting all the extensions coming from, um, Camel Quarkus. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, so the Camel integration in Quarkus is coming with a gazillion of extensions for all the technologies that Camel supports. Mm-hmm. I think the 300, uh, is without the Camel Quarkus extensions. No, not bad. And it's another 300. Did, um, the, Quarkus popularity surprise you? So I, I think all the qu- people working on Quarkus knew that we were up to something. I mean, we knew that um, there was something interesting in Quarkus. We didn't, we, I mean, we weren't sure that other people will will take the time to understand what was new about Quarkus and what, what it could bring to them. But we knew that there was something about it, something special about it was bringing something new to the Java ecosystem. And um, so I'm pleasantly surprised that it was, it's so popular, but I mean, I was kind of expecting that people would uh, find out that it was, uh, it was solving some of the problems they have. And I'm not only talking about the um, fast startup or things like that. I'm also talking about the dev mode, which is uh, very, very practical. I, I mean, I see some people sometimes when they are um, uh, evaluating Quarkus against Spring, they say, oh, DevMod, we, we really need that. And I was like, I'm like, uh, did you really try it? Because, I mean, now I'm developing my applications with DevMod. I don't restart my applications at all, and it's just all working. And, um, and there is the Dev UI, which is very practical. Uh, you have a lot of nice things in the DevMod. Um, and, uh, Quarkus has something very unique, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it's not just one thing. It's a combination of a ton of small things mm-hmm. that makes it very nice to work with. So I think the, the best compliment I have, I had about Quarkus was something telling me. So at my company, a ton of projects that we weren't able to do because um, we didn't have the time. Uh, it was just not possible to invest enough to get these things done. 
And he told me, well, with Quarkus, we were able to make some of these projects a reality. Mm -hmm. And uh, because um, we were faster and we were able to invest just the right amount of time to get these things done. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, if we are able to help people making things that shouldn't be possible in other ways, um, I think that's a big win. And that's a really nice thing to do. Mm -hmm. Some final thoughts from my side regarding uh, the uh, development tooling and mode. So I do uh, the monthly AIX TV show where the entire month I'm gathering questions. And once the first month of the month at 8 p.m. CET, I'm answering all the questions. And in the uh, recent video, someone asked me the question, you know, uh, why we need Quarkus Dev Mode. And I will answer this the next time. But what I will discuss is I have some small projects which I'm not using the Quarkus Dev Tools. And the reason being is Quarkus is so fast. So what I'm doing, I have a um, small shell script which uh, starts Quarkus. And behind the scenes, it builds, you know, the jar and copies the jar to a folder of my uh, of my machine where I use the Quarkus tool, and then uh, and then I'm basically done. So uh, it is uh, with Quarkus Dev Tools, I would be faster, but the project is on a later stage. This is not like I ch I'm changing a lot, uh, you know. So there's it is uh, for me, it is easier not to use the Quarkus Dev in this particular mode, and I'm just using. Um, Uh, I'm just using the uh, the standard Quarkus build system with script Java minus jar, and it just uh, starts and this is fast enough. But the absolute killer feature of dev mode is serverless because what you can do, you can run Lambda function as a Quarkus uh, application locally. And what Quarkus does, it creates this function on zip and you can push it to Amazon, for instance, cloud. So what you have You, you are in the unique position where you can use Quarkus Dev mode to run Lambdas locally and push them behind the scenes to the cloud, So which, which is great. So I would say this Quarkus Dev mode is great. The problem Quarkus Dev mode has is that the production mode is also very fast. So, uh, you know, if you, if you build everything with Maven and just start Quarkus without the Quarkus Dev, it's still fast enough. So... Um, For me, sometimes I say, okay, I get rid of the Quarkus Dev mode. I would just, you know, use the production mode because it's fast enough. And uh, Quarkus Dev mode is uh, crazy fast. So, uh, so it is not like a huge difference. If this production mode would be like, you know, five seconds longer, then we are talking. Then I will always use Quarkus Dev mode. But because the usual mode, I don't know how to call it, the build mode is fast enough, I'm using the Quarkus uh, Dev mode. Um, also, interesting. So, um, I'm actually surprised a bit about the popularity because what I uh, what I knew is that Quarkus would be highly appreciated by all the Whitefly developers, for instance, and uh, the Thorntail and and uh, what was the name before, and uh, it was Whitefly Micro. No, no Whitefly Micro. What was the name before? Uh, swarm. Uh, swarm. Swarm. Yeah, Whitefly Swarm. Exactly. And um, so um, I did uh, recently or last year a workshop about serverless Java with Quarkus. And uh, why I what I'm using Quarkus? I'm actually it looks like uh, a Whitefly application. So I'm using you know all microprofile APIs, then Jakarta e APIs, sometimes WebSockets, uh, Bean Validator is also you no know, part of Java e Bean Validation, Jakarta e, and uh, and not that much Quarkus specific stuff. So um, just focusing on the standards. But uh, what I noticed in the la latest workshop, there were um, there were a lots of attendees who never used microprofile. 
and they want to migrate from Spring to Quarkus. This is what I wouldn't suspect. And then I said, okay, uh, I mean, this is this is funny for me because you know all the years I heard you know Spring is lightweight and Java E was bloated, and um, and, and now I have exactly the same APIs, so I didn't change anything. So from Whitefly to Quarkus, my applications looks almost exactly the same. And now people are coming back to my old Java E code, which runs on Quarkus now, and say, okay, uh, they migrate. I'm sorry, but and and what's also interesting, they told me that the Spring was lightweight and Spring Boot is bloated. I said, okay, this is strange because you know the Spring, I mean, it was before Spring Boot. So uh, they say, yeah, but the package everything is. Uh, I don't even know. I I have to say, I never did a project with Spring or Spring Boot. I was in just in. Two times spent some time consulting because they hired me uh, because they thought what they have is Java E, so they hired me and it was Spring Boot. So I helped them, uh, and this, the application was nice; it looked nice and it worked nicely. So there was not not an issue there. The problem was in Java, not in Spring Boot. But um, th- this was the observation, and this is what I didn't did, didn't thought about that there uh, there are uh, a lots of Spring and Spring Boot developers who are aware of Quarkus, and they're willing to migrate to Quarkus. And I showed them actually microprovers with Quarkus, and they say this is really nice. And I said, okay, this is the first time in the history, you know, where where we can just I can show you enterprise code and you like it. So um, this is this is my surprise. So that the Jakarta E and microprofile community will appreciate Quarkus. This was clear from the beginning because what is genius about Quarkus, and and I have to say, I have to admit, I didn't saw this com- coming. So I got you know hint from. Back then, I created a screencast for OpenShift for for Red Hat, and they said to me, "We are working on something, and you will like it." So like, I don't believe it because you know Thorntail was pointless for me, Whitefly Swarm I did, never got it because uh, I, I I always used the Whitefly Fool. It was fast enough. I said, "Okay, what you can do? I mean, maybe you know you get you know Whitefly Micro or whatever, which is five k smaller." But the idea that you can deploy at build time is genius. This is. Uh, and uh, this is actually the, the the crucial point. If you think about this, instead of using reflection at deployment time, you use you know uh, bytecode generation at build time, and, and this is what I really like. Still, if I think about Quarkus, I see this like this is a genius idea, a simple idea, but genius. And um, what I also see in Quarkus is that. Um, you notice that in documentation, you notice this in the you know everywhere that the developers really care about Quarkus, so they are more excited, you know, contributed to Quarkus. So if you look at the documentation, I'm using Quarkus uh, a lot, and you see you know the entire uh, documentation is really nice. It is uh, mostly consistent. I, I have to say I can remember some in- inconsistencies, but I e- forgot about them. So I mean this is really high quality everything. It looks nice. And it feels great. So uh, this is a, a huge difference to and to some enterprise projects back then, you know, because uh, this was like uh, someone wrote documentation because they had to. And uh, my feeling is now in in Quarkus is different. The people like to contribute to Quarkus, and you feel that this this is the difference. Yes, I think we are all really passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, from the beginning, I mean. That's what I was telling before. We all knew that there was something special and we were onto something. So, yeah, that was a, a real passion. I mean, when we... So the, the months before the official release and the months after, we were all working like crazy. But I mean, really crazy. 
And um, yeah, we really thought that it was something amazing. And the fact is that most people see, uh, I mean, the the features that are on the outside. So you see what we document and things like that. But you you have an interesting point on the pipe code generation thing. Um, the way Quarkus is built, uh, you can do uh, a ton of things with simple bytecode generation. Uh, I mean, the, so a few weeks ago, um, we had some issues with uh, GitHub API because it's creating some bridge methods, which are confusing ByteBuddy mm-hmm. and Mokito. And I was like, oh, this is annoying. Uh, how can I fix that? And um, now in my Quarkus extension, I just um, adjust the bytecode of the GitHub API on to remove all these bridge methods, which are there for backward compatibility <laughs> and that I don't need. And I can do that in, I mean, I will write a blog post about that soon, but I mean, it was like 10 lines of code or, so, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just filter things. And uh, it's the same for the Quarkus GitHub app extension I did. I use a ton of uh, bytecode generation and it's very simple with a small uh, library called Gizmo. Uh, that is in the Quarkus ecosystem. And that's the nice thing about Quarkus. It's, um, you can really do, um, I mean, if you just want to develop an application with the existing extensions, there are a lot of them and you can do it in no time. But you can also develop some nice extensions which um, uses uh, the annotation index uh, to find something and then generate some code. And, um, in the end, you can, um, yeah, you can really do very fun things and very efficient things with the Quarkus architecture mm-hmm. itself. So it's not just, uh, an user thing. You can, as a, an extension developer, you can do, uh, an amazing, an, yeah, an amazing things. And we, we also have, so, we have these things called the Quarkus platform, which um, includes the Quarkus core extension and a few others. Um, and we know that we have some Quarkus users having their own platforms with their own extensions um, in-house, and they are developing extensions to uh, for the, their specific purposes, their specific business purposes, and that's the nice thing about Quarkus, you can extend it very easily. The architecture is really about how you can push things at build time, and that's how the architecture is built. So mm-hmm. anytime you want to play with your build and improve things at build time or generate things at build time, Quarkus is a very nice contender for it. And uh, and then you can do whatever you want. You can develop CLI application, server application, serverless, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and have your own extensions and fun things. And that's, uh, yeah, that's what very interesting about Quarkus. And I think it's still something that is not that well known. The fact that with developing extensions, you can do amazing things that are, uh, yeah, that go far beyond what you can do with other frameworks. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So where people can find you on the internet, your blog, your Twitter, 
Oh, so I, I'm mostly working in the shadows. Okay. <laughs> so I don't tweet that much. Uh, I mean, I tweet uh, more with the Quarkus IO account to announce releases than with my personal account, to be honest. Yeah, perfect. So I'm, uh, I'm with... Uh, so I, I still have a GitHub account with his uh, JSMet uh, uh, underscore. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, you can find it on my uh, GitHub account. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where I'm, uh, uh, and most people uh, find me with uh, GitHub notifications because I'm reading basically everything that is going on about Quarkus. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, yeah, as I like to say, it, I like to connect people and be aware of what's going on. So anytime you need me, you just ping me anywhere um, on GitHub, and I will be around. Um, and that's uh, yeah, that's the magic of it. And I will, uh, I uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a very public person to be honest. Uh, this uh, this invitation is uh, uh, yeah, it's a bit different from what I usually do. Okay. I'm usually yeah, walking in the shadows and get things done. So now you are in the light, you know, AXFM light. Yeah, so some of uh, I did a few talks uh, here and there. So I, some of uh, yeah, some people saw me somewhere um, in uh, yeah in Slovenia and in France. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm uh, I'm more yeah. I'm yeah. More like, uh, so I got you. You enjoy shadow and bad weather. So if you have you know you are in the shadow in the dark, <laughs> stormy dark with lots of rain and wind, you are happy. Thank you, and see you next time. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Thanks a lot.